Uh, have you seen the photo of me wearing the Eat My Shorts t-shirt? No. Oh, oh that's awesome. I have a, I found some photos of me, and one of them is a little kid, Ryan, uh, posing at like summer camp, like looking at the camera. I'm wearing a Bart Simpson Eat My Shorts oh, t-shirt. That's like a shirt I would wear today. Yeah. Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale March 18th, 2020. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And every week we run you through all the new Marvel comics that are on sale, the print issues, digital stuff, collections, and stuff hitting Marvel Unlimited. Tucker, tell me a fact about you right now. Uh, I went and saw a movie called First Cow. It is about the first cow <laughs> in space. Am I right? Oh, I w- it would have been better if it was that. <laughs> oh, no. It was, it's, it's a little indie movie that I almost fell asleep during. But I still liked it. It was good. All right. Your turn. Fun fact. Well, we have a baby. And so Whoa, life is tough. That is That's fun. not the fact. Oh, okay. Uh, life is tough to just have between my wife and I. But we last night we watched uh, the first 40 minutes of the first Austin Powers movie. Oh, Which is so just good. so fun. So rat-a-tat with jokes and gags and silly stuff and a lot of fun. And the thing that I realized watching it was it was 1997 when the movie was made. They flashed back to... 1967 Mm -hmm. now we are 23 years removed from the release of that movie and i was just like (laughs) it's gonna be wild when we get to the 30 like you know do you remember what you were doing in 1990 1990 yeah or 1997 1990 30 years ago oh 30 years ago from now Ooh, i was nine and so i was probably Reading, you had uh, your little sailor outfit, high yeah. socks, running hey! around with a Long giant Island. lollipop. Yep, and and a little a little hoop with a stick. <laughs> yep, rolling, getting into trouble. <laughs> you know, like do 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 do. That's a giant you know lollipop. <laughs> That's that, that so is funny. <laughs> you you could picture it too. Oh yeah. What were wow. you doing in 1990? Were you a zygote? What, what was going on? Uh, no, not even. No, oh, I was. Uh, I don't know. Like some probably some argument between my parents. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. Don't even know what that means. <laughs> Festering bile and yeah. fury that turned into Tucker Jet That's right. Marcus. That's right. Oh boy. Hey, you guys. We're gonna talk about comics, and I think I'm gonna kick things off with 2020 Iron Age issue number one. So this is an anthology issue with a bunch of stories set in like the events of what's going on around Iron Man 2020. We've got three stories within this one. It's a Machine Man story in Rhodes Taken, which is based on an idea by Christos Gage, but written by Tom DeFalco, art by Nick Roche, colors by Felipe Sobrero. Then we have an Alkima story called Robot of Conviction, written by Fonda Lee, art by Damien Cusiero, colors by J. David Ramos, and then a Dr. Shapiro story called Curiosity, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Matt Horak, colors by Triona Farrell. My favorite of the three stories is the Dr. Shapiro story. Dr. Shapiro is the genius cat that had its uh, vocal collar taken away. And so we see Dr. Shapiro just like doing stuff and being around and like the life of a cat. I think it's such a fascinating story. Love Matt Horak. He's a buddy. Saw him at C2E2 in Chicago. We're hanging out. We had a bunch of leftover pizza from Pequod's. Uh I was like, Matt, you're staying at an Airbnb. Do you want this pizza? And he was like, like his eyes (laughs) wide, like like tears welling up. Uh, So I gave him a whole bunch of pizza and he earned it with this dang story about a cat. So good. I just also wanted to point out Alkima. Awesome. Alkima was created by Ultron to be his second bride, a la Jocasta. But like when Jocasta didn't work, he's like, I'm going to try again. My name is Ultron. And uh, instead of using Janet Van Dyne's 
brainwaves like he did for Jocasta. He used Mockingbirds, which, hello, you dingbat. That's not a good idea. Mockingbird is like way more aggressive, feisty, wily, awesome. So uh, Alkima ends up being super homicidal and messed up. She doesn't care about anything. <laughs> she rules. From one 2020 book to another, now we go on to 2020 Machine Man number two. This also has a, a few stories in it. The first is called Computer Love Part Two. It's written by Christos Gage with art by Andy McDonald and colors by Dona Sanchez Almara. And the second one is called The Leap, which is written by Tom DeFalco with pencils by Mike Hawthorne, inks by Adriano Di Benedetto, colors by Eric Arseniega. Letters throughout are all by VC's Travis Lanham. I'm super digging the timeline of what's going down in these 2020 books. I just think it's something super unique. More than anything, it's a great exploration of some characters that don't always get the limelight. So in that first story, we have, of course, Machine Man. We have Jocasta digging into all that makes this entire AI conversation so fascinating. That's where we move on to in uh, the second story as well. It's just something that I'm really into in general. So to have this whole thing helmed with this 2020 event, top down with 2020 Iron Man, feels retro and very modern, very forward thinking at the same time. Also, it does include multiple uses of the phrase, pray to your fleshy God, <laughs> said by Machine Man, which is one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, up next is Arrow, issue number nine. It is written by Zhao Lifen, art by Kang, adaptation by Amy Chu, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna and Joe Sabino. Tag team there, the Joes on the move. Oh, man, we need a fun tag team name for <laughs> Caramagna and Sabino. Whoa. Double Cup of Joe. My working title right now. Uh, I love both those dudes. They're great. They do great work. Um, there's a really great relationship chat in this issue between Li Ling, who is uh, Arrow's you know, civilian identity, and her boyfriend, Zhao Yu, that just felt so fresh and real of just like frankness about what she feels, what she wants, and what she is. And then his just being like, yeah, I get it. But, you know, I'm here for you. I'm here with you. Not like belaboring it or over dramatizing it. It was just like this is two people figuring things out and they keep moving. I thought it was really cool to get into the heart of the character that way. It's something that I think Amazing Mary Jane does very well. And that's our next book. Issue number six is out this week. It's written by Leah Williams with art by Carlos Gomez, Zay Carlos, and Ana Paula Martello with colors by Carlos Lopez and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This book takes a character that we know as a person very, very well and, and elevates them to explore them in this new way. You know, And I think Amazing Mary Jane has done such an incredible job of that balancing act while maintaining the heart of this character that we know so well and introducing so many new elements. In this issue, MJ goes on a talk show. Uh, she's a big, successful actor, so that's really, really fun. And then, as you can imagine, things start to go awry in one way or another from there. I was getting um, you know, flashes in my mind of a favorite little run of books, the Mythos books mm -hmm. and particularly the spider-man issue because paolo rivera is one of my favorite artists of all time and i remember in that spider-man mythos story spidey after like becoming spidey goes on late night with conan o'brien that beat in this story is so much fun i think it's executed beautifully leah williams could be like a late night joke writer she's so funny she could do anything so to be able to live in that world a little bit in this issue was great one question i have for you tucker oh favorite late night chat show host go uh i mean it's probably david letterman now how about you conan 
Um, yeah, yeah was I mean, so he was, that was like right up my there. Yeah sense of humor yeah. in a lot of ways if you've not listened to conan o'brien needs a friend the oh, podcast great. is great but there's an episode with him and david letterman that is terrific oh, and yeah. i was like annoyed that they cut a 90 minute interview down to about 30 40 minutes right because they, they they say that and i was like i could I, I could dine on that give oh, me that yeah. whole chat i could also dine on atlantis attacks number three a hell of an issue written by greg pock art by ario anandito and robert gill colors by rochelle rosenberg and letters by vc's joe sabino you guys namor is pissed off who would have <laughs> expected it your boy is angry and he gets captured and then some stuff happens that i'm not going to spoil but man i love it when namor gets angry because people get punched my favorite part of this issue is probably, though, dual POV storytelling device of the history between the Atlanteans and the Sirenas. The Sirenas, they're another underwater race, and they have been in conflict with the Atlanteans. And I really love the way Greg and the team explain why they're at such odds and how this conflict and the telling of it shapes the way that the many agents of Atlas, whether they're the old, the new, where they fall on this and like it's a division between all the groups man it's great whose side would you take <sighs> namor yeah. i mean for sure atlantis it's this weird combination of fear and respect <laughs> yeah <laughs> like <laughs> hail to the king baby <laughs> okay from atlantis attacks now to captain america number 20 this is by Tanahasi Coates and Bob Quinn with colors by Matt Mila and letters by VCs Corey Pettit this is the starting of a new arc here it's called all die young you know, Cap has been through quite a lot over the last five issues. I feel like a lot has gone down, but it, it's kind of buried in this very interesting kind of domestic storyline that's going on because oftentimes when we think of a Cap story, you think of like fighting for the country, fighting the biggest evils around, and that certainly is packed into this story, but I think it's presented in a little bit more of a personal way. It's presented on more of an interior scale, as well as having the Daughters of Liberty, which are just an incredible group of supporting characters with this story. I love the way that this book continues to to kind of zig when you think it's going to zag. I think, I think you keep expecting Captain America moments and it gives you Steve Rogers moments mm. or you you expect a Steve Rogers moment it gives you a Captain America moment and I know there's a subtle difference there but digging into those nuances I think what this book is all about and I love that I also want to say look Alex Ross maybe the most famous artist in Marvel history he's absolutely whoa, whoa, modern whoa, Marvel whoa. history modern okay it's a debate but the cover for this one is yeah, it's real. It's like really different and really special. His current work, whether it's Captain America, the other he's got a bunch of other random things or Immortal Hulk. Mm -hmm. Like if there's not a book of Immortal oh, Hulk, yeah. Alex Ross covers when he's like, you know what? I'm done. If we don't have a full, beautiful book, then we've done something because <laughs> that is gorgeous. Work. Yeah, it yeah. is stunning. OK, from one captain to another, let's talk about Captain Marvel number 16. This is the final part of The Last Avenger. It is written by Kelly Thompson, art by Lee Garbett, colors by Tamara Bonvillane, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one rules. It's a big-ass issue where Carol, she's powered up even bigger because she has to fight Vox Supreme. Uh, and I like you get more about Vox Supreme without it feeling like overload if you've mm -hmm. not read death of the inhumans or know what's going on like it feels like kelly was creating all the moments 
of the last couple of issues in order to get to this point and let it pay off. It's such smart storytelling. And like, that's what a writer does. Mm -hmm. But you see it come to bear, come to fruition so beautifully and plainly here. The payoff is palpable. It's real. It's exciting. There's fun, big superhero moments you want out of one of the most powerful superheroes. And Lee's art is just so good in here, in this issue. Just the like the storytelling, these big splash page moments. There's one that I'm looking at now where they utilize blurring. The impact is felt, and it, I think it works really, really well. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my boy Boss Logic, who has a cover here, his first Marvel work, wow. like for comics. He's yeah. been doing posters and stuff, and if you follow him on Instagram, you know his, his work is incredible. I think I connected him with Ricky last year, Ricky Purden on nice. our talent team, because I was like, dude, dude, dude. You're doing the stuff around movie posters, and now he's starting to get into that officially. And I was like, you got to do some work here. And it, whoosh, it happened, and it's a gorgeous cover. Oh, it's so good. So good. So cool. Now, from the realm of Captain Marvel to Samaria with Conan the Barbarian, this is issue number 14. It's written by Jim Zub with art by Rohe Antonio, colors by Israel Silva, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This issue, it's just like Conan monster throwdown. I mean, it, there are a bunch of really, really cool character moments. These giant, like, Conan, like, lifts his sword and says, screw you, I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. He's uh, like the Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah. of, of <laughs> Barbarians. Yeah, like, he, I just imagine him wearing, like, a, a Conan 316 shirt. Yeah, leather uh, vest. Like, leather vest. <laughs> uh, like, flipping the birds, yeah. cutting somebody's head off. Yeah, yeah. It's like, don't trust anyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Best. Uh, but it also reminds me of like um, Lord of the Rings knowledge in Return of the King, the big uh, spider. Oh, um, Shelob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew there was an uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shelob. Uh, anyway, so it kind of reminded me of Lord of the Rings. It kind of reminded me of almost like Indiana Jones in a way. It's really, really cool. Yeah, definitely see the indie vibes. Yeah. There. Yeah, really awesome. All right, let's go to another monster-filled realm with Deadpool, number four, because Staten Island is Monster Island. This is written by Kelly Thompson, art by Chris Bashalo, inks by Wayne Foucher, Alve, Live Say, Jamie Mendoza, Tim Townsend, and Derek Friedolfs. Colors by David Curiel. That's for the main story. There's another story I'll tell you about in a minute, but this main story in here is just got a really great Deadpool versus Craven Jr. fight. I say Craven Jr. simply because mm-hmm. it's referenced in this issue. Like Craven was like your daddy, blah blah blah, because old man Craven brought back died in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man and, and with the storyline that was like a year ago. Yeah, and his son took over the mantle for all intents and purposes. He is Craven now. But he's a younger, fit, like sexy boy Craven, uh, <laughs> but looks exactly like old man Craven uh, in his prime. Uh, anyway, great fight, throwdown. I love the way Deadpool's uh, his like round table yeah. of security dudes come to the fight, what they bring to it, and how that feels. It was awesome. Uh, then it has a backup story called Jeff and Wade, written by Kelly, with art by Irene Strakalski. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And this one, so, so good. It is Deadpool walking Jeff the Landshark. And Jeff is sad because he doesn't have Gwenpool around. He misses his human, you know, like bummed out. And the payoff for this is tremendous. Yeah. It is so cute. <laughs> it is everything I could have asked for and more. 
now from Deadpool to Excalibur number nine. It's written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Excalibur, if you asked me now, I would describe it as the kind of dawn of X, or just if we looked at the X titles now, as the most enigmatic of those books. And I say that as a huge compliment. It's this kind of mystical frontier that they're always at the vanguard of. They're always kind of pushing forward. They're, there's a really, really interesting kind of fog that they're constantly feeling their way through. And I think that's so, so powerful in any new landscape, certainly including the kind of game-changing world that the mutants find themselves in now. And I think that is an incredibly difficult thing to get across. But Teeny Howard, as one of the House of Ideas' finest, of course, can manage that easily. There's also great, real, hard, tangible stuff in here, whether that's really fascinating character moves that I think are really, really interesting going on in here. There's great Rogue and Gambit stuff happening in here as well, which I think every you know mutant fan is instantly pulled in by. Uh, I really feel like each issue of this book is treading new ground. It's exploring new themes. It's exploring new concepts. Sometimes it manifests literally with like new realms, new places, new people that they're meeting. Managing that and building that all in together is a difficult task, but it's what I really think makes Excalibur so, so special and makes me a huge fan. Heck yeah. Yeah. I am also a huge fan of the work being done on Fantastic Four with issue number 20 here, written by Dan Slott, art by Paco Medina, colors by Jesus Arbutov, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, I think if you are not reading Fantastic Four, I mean, the last 19 issues, great. Go back, read them, jump in. There's some stellar stuff. Uh, but this one, if you're just like, hey, you know what, I want to pick up an issue of Fantastic Four, see what it's like. I think this is a great one. You get a sense of what the family's all about right now, what's going on. You get a little bit of Ben and Alicia stuff. You get Johnny Storm with his new alien betrothed woman who is like a bird lady. Uh, you get a bit of that. You get Reed and Sue being parents. You get the kids doing their thing. You get Wyatt Wingfoot. Plus, you get dinosaurs. I oh, love yeah. dinosaurs oh, yeah. so much. We get dinosaurs in here. We get an, a big Earth adventure with Johnny, Wyatt, and Sky. We get Moloids. Super fun. That, to me, is the word. It is a super fun issue. It, you know, runs around on all the things that make the Fantastic Four so great. It's an easy one and done before we start to get into a whole bunch of other stuff. As Empire looms, the big crossover event, this one, I think, give it a taste. Give it a little, little sample. <laughs> Perfectly tying in in a very, very unique way that I'm really into with Fantastic Four is Ghost Spider number eight. Because in Ghost Spider number eight, we see Johnny and Susan Storm, but... They're not the Johnny and Sue that you think you know. They're the Johnny and Sue of Earth-65. This is all written by Sean McGuire with art by Iguara, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Basically, the long and short of it is, on Earth-65, Johnny and Sue Storm went missing, supposedly, in Latveria. And that happened five years ago, and now they're back. But there's something a little bit amiss happening here, and we get to explore that in this issue. Alongside all of that, we have some really, really top-notch Ghost Spider action. I love seeing Gwen do her thing, being just a straight-up great superhero. And that's not just because I love this character. That's also just because I love seeing this suit and this character design 
in all its glory. The scene where she's saving the people in the the burning yes. building is one of my favorite scenes in comics this week. It's yeah. just like it is just so well told and paced and done and makes you like get into like I love this superhero. Yeah, exactly. You can feel this this entire scene consuming you. It's just so, so well told. We continue to explore all the Johnny and Sue stuff. We'll get into that, I'm sure, as we continue further with this series. But a dynamite, dynamite issue here. Yeah, and if you are um, planning on reading Outlawed this week, which we're going to get to soon, I would say read Outlawed before you read Ghost Spider because it, there's connection points. But you don't have to read Outlawed in order to understand Ghost Spider. But it's like, ooh, I like this thing. I like this thing even more now. It works out oh, yeah. very, very well. What else works out well is not what's happening for the Guardians of the Galaxy. Because oh, no. those, oh, man, the, you open up and the credits page has Rocket crying, like sad Rocket raccoon tears. Oh, man. Uh, this is written by Nightmare Man Al Ewing <laughs> with art by Nina Vacueva, Chris Sprouse, Balin Ortega, Juan Cabal, and Carl Story with colors by Federico Blee, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Rocket's crying because of something that happened in the last issue of Guardians, uh, issue number two. I will not spoil it just in case yeah. you don't know what happened, but a big change for the Guardians, which is reflected heavily in this issue. I would say if you're going to pick up Guardians, which you should because it's great, read the first two issues before you read this one. It's kind of important. This also has the return of Blackjack O'Hare, which is a Rocket Raccoon villain. It's a great design. You see him on the cover. He's just weird and fun. Uh, it also has some sick Saxman Drax action. Oh, does Love it? Love Arthur Douglas Saxman. Oh, it's so awesome. So great. We also have a League of Legends issue out this week. It is League of Legends Z number five, written by Odin Austin Schaefer. Pencils by Edgar Salazar, inks by Lorenzo Ruggiero, colors by Chris O'Halloran, letters by Tyler Smith of Comicraft. And uh, this is the big Zed versus Shen throwdown. If you are into your League of Legends, this is a big old fight issue. Nice. Now jumping around League of Legends, obviously in the video game world, and what else is but Marvel's Avengers coming this fall. Can't wait. Uh, and this issue that I have up next is Marvel's Avengers Captain America number one. This is one of these one shots that we've been digging into each of the members of the Avengers in this world. These are all kind of really interesting character prequels, kind of setups that tie into the game. It's really, really cool stuff. This is written by Paul Allure with pencils by George Gianti, inks by Mark Deering with Scott Hanna, colors by Andy Troy with Chris Sotomayor, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I would be down with this issue whether or not it was tied into the most anticipated video game of the year because it is Steve Rogers versus Batroc Zelibert. Batroc Zelibert. Oh, yeah. One of the best. I mean, and there is, look, when I'm coming into this, I want leaping. Yeah. And there is no shortage of leaping in here. Only thing that I missed from this issue, someone or himself saying, Master of Savate. Because he's master of Savate. That's what you, you know he leaps. You know he knows Savate. That's what he does. Also, one of the best Marvel mustaches out there. Yep. He's right up there with Agent M and Steve Strange. So, so good. Uh, super dynamic fight scenes in here. And I think that's exactly what you need when you have the Shield Slinger going up against the Leaper. Really cool stuff. And like I said, ties in really nicely. It's another great kind of betting in 
for the world of Marvel's Avengers. And next up, we're doing uh, Marvel's Avengers Black Widow. Yeah. This issue also has good heart where, with a uh, World War II story mm-hmm. that's like the B story of yeah. it and yeah. like flashing back and forth. I thought that was really well done. All right. On to Marvel's X number three with a story by Alex Ross and Jim Kruger. Script by Jim Kruger. Art by Welby. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Man, I love this series so much. I love all things uh, Marvels and Earth X and the Earth X trilogy. We actually have Alex Ross on This Week in Marvel this week. We're going to be doing some deep dives into Marvels. We're going to be doing deep dives into the Earth X trilogy, which includes Paradise X and Universe X. It's going to be a lot of fun tying into all the stuff that we're talking about here. This issue continues on. This is a prequel to Earth X and those stories. So society hasn't fully collapsed yet. A lot of our heroes are still around. We have one human left, the last boy on Earth, and who's going after him? There's a point where this issue like takes a turn, and I was like, oh, no. But it was neat to see some Fantastic Four stuff in here, Doctor Strange, and a really cool, creepy sequence with one of Spidey's villains in this issue. I was reading this, and... You know, in my mind is like, who is this David character? Because I've read the entirety of the Earth X trilogy. Earth X, Universe X, Paradise X, all the tie-ins. It's 53 issues. I read it within like a two-week span to prep for the the chat with Alex. And now reading this, I'm like, I wonder if David is a character who eventually transforms into something, or does he remain the last boy on Earth? Do I know this character? And I have some thoughts, but I can't wait to continue on this journey to figure out if my hunch is right. Nice. Hey, you mentioned the word creepy. You ready for some more creepy? Because I got some in Morbius number five. That's right. Morbius, not lesbius. And oh it's written. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That No. We, all, not, we always need more. Daniel is waving us off. No, that was so good. It we was always the worst more. best. Yes. Yeah. Keep it in. <laughs> <laughs> always more BS. Is what we need. It's The Living Vampire. It's written by Vita Ayala with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira and Francesco Mobili. Inks by Roberto Foggi, J.P. Meyer, and Scott Hanna. Colors by Dona Sanchez Amara and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And that entire list of artists on this book have a ton of work to do. And I say that as a huge compliment to Vita and the entire squad because not only do we have an amazing visual representation of the living vampire himself, but we also have this absolutely skin-crawlingly out there, weird, gross, wonderful cast of monsters in this issue. It's one of those where I'm just blown away about, one, how Vita puts these images into words and gets these ideas across and then two how that entire creative team executes them and that just for me really illustrates how boundary pushing the designs and everything going on in this book is Uh, and that's exactly what you want uh, essentially with a story where it's a living vampire he's in this creepy location it's dark it's scary it's exactly the corner of the marvel universe i want to explore with a morbius book we also though get a little bit of levity a little bit of relief in the right moments from the amazing spider-man who is also involved in this story it works beautifully i am super super into it this whole morbius story has been a real dive into 
the kind of conflict that exists not just in the world of Michael Morbius, but in the man. I think this is one of those where it's just like you can pick up in a collection and just dive fully into the weird darkness and just kind of exist within it. Uh, yeah, and I've been a, a really huge fan. Yeah. There's also darkness in our next book, a different kind of darkness, and that is Outlawed, number one, written by Eve L. Ewing, art by Kim Jacinto, colors by Espen Grutenjern, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. So this one is important because this issue is like a launching point for the new Champions book, some other teen titles, and things we're going to see across other series, like Ghost Spider, which we mentioned, reaches out across the Marvel Universe. The idea here is the Champions are protecting someone who is a target. But what happens is things just spiral out of control. The, the person they're trying to protect does get attacked, but it's a series of events of like, this decision was made poorly, this decision was made slowly, this decision wasn't made. The younger heroes, the champions, end up seemingly causing a lot of damage. It could be said that they saved a lot of people, and on the other side it said that they're the ones that caused all this because of their presence, whatever. But things go wrong, someone important to the team is hurt several someones are hurt very drastically and what happens is something that will reach into the marvel universe as i mentioned affecting younger heroes mm -hmm. and we're going to see this across many many books going forward so if you're reading a book and you're like wait when did this happen it might be in the pages of outlawed no big spoilers here but the champions get into some big trouble and cause some big changes to the marvel universe yeah it's really cool it it's fun to read as almost a spiritual successor to Civil War. Yeah, I was thinking the Which same. is so cool. So we asked Marvel editor Alana Smith about the origins of this new Outlawed series and what the storyline means for all the teen heroes in the Marvel Universe. Let's hear what she has to say. Part of the incentive to do this was that it felt like a lot of the younger character books had become too too safe and too cozy in a way. Just by merit of a lot of the kids, you know, their identities are out to their parents and their parents are supportive and, you know, there's not really much tension at home. There's not, that's not a recipe for drama necessarily. So in the interest of drama, which is my favorite thing, um, teen superheroing would be outlawed, which, you know, would result in the kids having to dodge the law like Spider-Man used to when he was considered a menace. And now the parents who have kid superheroes that they know about have to weigh the option of, okay, now my kid is not only putting themselves in danger, they're breaking the law. They could be taken away from me. They could be put in a weird boarding school. They could be arrested. So there's going to be tension between, you know, parents and kids who disagree on whether this law is valid or not. And it's also going to give the teen characters their own identity in the same way the X-Men have, like, hated and feared. These kids are underestimated and ignored and um, are pushing back against that at all times where they feel like, you know, they've been stripped of agency in their own futures. They feel like, you know, they don't have a, a choice in things anymore. And uh, they're questioning, you know, it's, it's great power and great responsibility, right? It's like they have this power. They should use it to help people. And now they're being told they can't. So there's a lot of internal conflict as well. Then Alana shared with us why she thinks these character stories are so fantastic. Check it out. I really love the, the teen characters, uh, especially some of the newer ones that... I've been lucky enough to, to help bring into the world like Wasp and Ironheart. So I really want to see these characters succeed. I want to see them reach more audiences. I, wanna, I want them to be able to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with our biggest characters and feel, you know, immediate and relevant and important. So I hope that 
readers who already love these characters will show up. I hope that, you know, readers who maybe haven't tried them out yet will show up and give them a shot because all the books tying into Outlaw are really being told in that mighty Marvel fashion. Just big, explosive, bombastic stories with human drama and emotion, really interesting conflicts. And I think they're great. So uh, everyone should read them. (laughs) Thank you so much, Alana. Okay, uh, let's get back to this week's books. We have one group of young heroes uh, to another with Runaways number 31. And it is my first pick of the week. It's written by Rainbow Rowell with art by Andres Genolet and colors by D. Kunif. And letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is where the Doc Justice and the J-Team story all comes to a head. We've been on this entire roller coaster ride with the team from them having this amazing, exuberant, youthful reaction to this new lifestyle, this like costumed superhero thing that they got wrapped into with Doc Justice. Alas, Doc Justice wasn't exactly what he presented himself as, and that all comes to a head here. We had the kind of breakthrough moment in the last issue, but here's where we get to throw down, and it's done with such joy. But beyond that, since issue number one, it has been absolutely top drawer because i spoke to nick Lowe about this book who back in the day worked on the original vaughn alfona runaways and he said this is the best runaways has been since then and that is an enormous compliment given the the weight that that series has had over the last 20 years really in the 21st century of marvel comics in general it has been such an enormous kind of touchstone we had Nick on this week in Marvel right at the right before this arc started yeah. a couple months ago, and yeah, he he was singing its praises then, and I can't disagree with him. It's amazing, and so this is one of those issues where I step back and I look at a novelist like Rainbow coming into comics. You know, whatever medium they that someone comes from, it's it's always a transitional period into comics because it's such a specific medium. But this is an issue where I look at it and I go, wow. We have witnessed Rainbow Rowell become a master of this medium because there are very, very few words in here. But when they appear, they're so well-timed, they're so concise, they do such amazing story work. But the rest of it is really bold panel decisions, framing, but such amazing, deep storytelling built into them. It's one of those things that you really need to read to feel the full impact of. I can't ever do it justice with just my words. And you can't I can't do it. Doc justice with my words. <laughs> um, it is so, so beautiful. And even with the high standards that this series has, this issue, again, it's, it's masterful because being able to tell a story in a way that takes full advantage of this medium alongside Andres, who is just the absolute dream artist for this series, following the heels of Chris Anka, who is one of the best artists in the business and has not you know, skipped a beat. There is so, so much to love about this series. I can't say it enough. I know you can't say it enough. Even with all of that said, this issue still hit me like a ton of bricks. It's so, so incredible and just a testament to the mastery of the medium and that's that's an entire kind of thing to explore in itself but then you also have this amazing story and these amazing characters to dig into there's just so much to love here there's one one moment where 
Nico uses her powers for something mm-hmm. and the like the spirit that's attached to the the staff of one shows up s- just small and evilly grinning is like barely visible and i was like man just give them all the eisners put <laughs> yeah, it yeah. Like, just dump yeah. the dump the awards on this book because it's so good and the the end the issue is like it's a crescendo right and yes it, you get it and you get to the like the ending and you're like it, you, it feels complete and final and then you turn the page and it is just like you get slapped across yep. the face with what is going on what's going to happen next it is damn near perfect comics yep. Agreed. So good. Another damn near perfect comic, in my opinion, is Spider-Woman number one. Yes, I'm so excited for this. I know so many listeners and readers and, and everybody is hyped for this. It is written by Carlo Pacheco with art by Pere Perez, colors by Frank D'Armada, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. There's a second story, which we'll get to uh, after talking about the main story. But man, so good. I had the opportunity, the the, the fortune to sit down with Carla. Recently, she came by the office. She did a whole bunch of our shows. She's on Women of Marvel, which you can hear that um, probably pretty soon. Uh, But I did a video with her, just like a quick rapid fire questions one. And I spent like half an hour with her. And I was like, Carla's my favorite person. She's just (laughs) hilarious. She like DGAF. She's funny. She is like whip smart, very earnest, very honest, knows her stuff inside and out, like just awesome and i hadn't read the story yet and i was like man i'm gonna love this book and i read it and i did it's rules it is uh, about spider woman she needs work so she takes a gig protecting a rich family the father hires her to protect his daughter during his daughter's birthday party which is on a stupid nice yacht but the book opens with spider woman fighting a bunch of bad dudes and then you peel back and you see that this is all part of the story. She's fighting these bad dudes because bad guys are after this guy's kid. And so you see her fight. But what I love is how vulnerable Jess is in the sense of like, she's got a headache. She's annoyed. She's like dealing with human stuff, but still terrifyingly awesome and competent and strong and badass and like thinking on her feet. At one point she drives a car off the boat jumps out of it as it flies and smashes into another boat just awesome big (laughs) action moments amidst her very human side of things it reminds me of jessica jones like the alias stories in some ways which absolutely love everybody who's worked on them from brian to kelly and, and beyond there's also just super hilarious moments in here so the kids are at this party because it's a costume superhero party for the girl when you read the issue, you'll see sort of how that plays into her story. But one of the kids is dressed as Deadpool, and he is a complete jerk, like such a <laughs> prick. He's a kid, but he goes, I knew I shouldn't have come to this stupid cripple's birthday party. My parents are going to sue all of you. And mind you, they're on a boat. Jessica, she says, you know how to swim, kid? And he says, listen, expletive, I'm the junior captain of the diving team at my – turn the page, wide shot – Kids flying over the side of the boat, being thrown into the water by Jess. And that is a, like a little bit of a runner throughout the issue. It is hilarious. The book is hilarious. Then you get into Pere, who we saw on um, some Rogue Gambit stuff within the last couple of years, some other X-Men issues, really going to town. There's this one panel that we're looking at right now. 
it's a part of a three panel sequence where she's fighting and Perry uses silhouette to tell much of the fighting story. It's like a break your brain type of panel because you have Spider-Woman stomping a dude in the foreground and the background, it's her fighting in all these different ways. But if you look at the images that are silhouetted in black, it is one thing. If you look at the images silhouetted in transparent, it is another thing. Both tell different pictures. It's like you look at it in the choreography to make this panel work is masterful. Like It's something that I think Perry and the, and the team deserves huge amount of credit for. The book is wonderful. It's a capsule story. It's really just this one event, but it tells you where Jessica is, how she's feeling, what's going on with her, why she's doing this. It sets up everything we want to know about Jessica Drew in the storyline. Also, if you are someone who has a phobia of vomit, there's a big vomit panel. And I tell you this because it is really intense. Then we have the uh, secondary story, which is also written by Carla and has uh, pencils by Paolo Sequeira, inks by Oren Jr., and colors by Frank as well. And this one sets up why she's in the situation she's in, what's going on, what her headspace is, that she takes this job. Also, why she's in the new costume. I know a lot of people are like, what's this new costume all about? There's a reason. The story beat to it, even bigger than what you think at the at the start of it. It's gorgeous. It's fun. It ties into Strike Force a little bit. If you're wondering about her supporting cast, namely her family, don't worry. It's in this issue. <laughs> if I didn't already mention it, it is my first pick of the week. I think I forgot because I got so excited talking about <laughs> Spider-Woman number one. It is uh, worthy of the, like, 50 variant covers that it gets. It's got, like, the same number of variant covers that Wolverine number one got. And so that's a lot, y'all. Oh, yeah. My second pick of the week is coming up right now with Star Wars number four. It is written by Charles Soule with art by Jesus Saiz, colors by Ruth Brianto and Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I found reading this one that... Different Star Wars comics give me very particular emotional kinship with different Star Wars movies. And weirdly, this one felt a little bit to me like The Phantom Menace. And I couldn't tell you exactly why. Because we're with Luke a lot in this issue. We're with Lando a lot. Leia has been frozen in carbonite. That is a big part of this story. They're trying to rescue her kind of amidst the larger chaos of the aftermath of The Empire Strikes Back. But I I think it was just something about the start of Act 3 Phantom Menace where it's like, the Darth Maul battle begins in the ship hangar, stuff like that, which I just love. I absolutely love. It's just got that like seat of your pants, fast moving action, just like these characters have no time to decide what to do. They just have to make choices and hope it works out. And that's really, really, really fun to go along with when it's told well. And of course, this creative team is totally stacked. So it is a ton of fun. And we also get the kind of classic Star Wars moment of like inner turmoil or, or mm. doubt, which I think is represented visually here beautifully as Luke continues on his own personal journey amidst this bigger journey with his crew, amidst this even bigger journey 
of the original trilogy. But it's really, really fun. And I think, you know, this issue wraps up in a really fun way. We also get to explore Lando's supporting cast of characters, which is awesome. Something I've always been so fascinated by and curious about. And getting to know those characters more and more is just the best. So as we continue to mine this new territory, I just think it's executed so beautifully. This is like precious territory for so many people. So when it's done well, you just have to stand up and applaud. And uh, that's what's going on here. Yeah. Okay, next up, we have Valkyrie, Jane Foster. Number nine, it's written by Jason Aaron and Torun Grumbeck, with guest art by Ramon Rosanas, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters in production by VCs Joe Sabino. You know, if I was pressed, I would probably make the case that the stories of Jane Foster, as, you know, told by largely by Jason Aaron, you know, some incredible collaborators along the way, Russell Donovan, Matt Wilson, and then Kafu into this Valkyrie story. There's just been uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of incredible issues. But I would say that the, the journey that Jane Foster has been on over the last five years is unmatched in Marvel Comics. It is the best story of the last five years, at least for my money. And look, that's some tough competition going on there. There's a lot of incredible stuff across the board. But what's even cooler is that as this new era of Jane Foster's life begins, as she has assumed the mantle of Valkyrie, the hits keep coming. And we have continued somehow to unearth new qualities of Jane to witness her go through new challenges that we never thought we'd be able to witness before. This issue is incredibly powerful and beautifully told because the moments of kind of quiet thoughtfulness are as impactful as those moments of big action. And the balance between those things is what, you know, the best of superhero storytelling is. It really captures that spirit. Really, really incredible. And a special shout out to the art team on this book, because I think there's a lot of incredible subtleties and nuances going on in the storytelling and the lighting and the coloring. Just great stuff all across the board. Yeah. uh, Speaking of great art teams, we're going to talk about that in my... Second pick of the week, which is X-Force number nine, art here by Joshua Cassara and Dean White with VCs Joe Caramagna on letters, and Benjamin Percy is your writer. The art is so good in this issue, and there's a double-page spread in here that I teased on Twitter, and then artist Joshua Cassara was like, shh, it's supposed to be a surprise. So... Under Josh's uh, request, (laughs) I am not telling you a ding-dang thing about that stuff, except that the book opens with Scout, a.k.a. Honey Badger, a.k.a. Gabby Kinney, who is, you know, one of my favorite characters. She, the little clone of X-23, running a game of three-claw Russian roulette between Logan and Dokken. They call that family bonding time. (laughs) And it is wild and fun, and this book is over the top and bananas and and absolutely weird and gory and just unlike anything else we're publishing right now yeah. and it is fun and disgusting and dirty and I don't want to tell you anything more about this issue because I want you to read it I want you to just dive into this book it is truly truly something special and hey Josh Gusara I I just want to say like I'm so happy for him that he was given the opportunity to just go bonkers with this series yeah. and show what he can do because he is incredible. It reminds me of Jerome Pena mm. on Uncanny X-Force. Dean White was coloring Jerome on that as well. Has the same level of detail yeah. and that like 
elevation exactly. to to near perfection a level of art. Yeah. So, so awesome. Okay, that's what we have for individual issues on sale this week. Now for collections, we have Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda, Volume 1, Eye of the Storm, Captain America, Epic Collection, Blood and Gory, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Marvel Select, Conan the Barbarian, Volume 2, The Life and Death of Conan, Book 2, Dazzler Masterworks, Volume 1, Immortal Hulk, Volume 6, We Believe in Bruce Banner, King Thor. Must own. Get it. Marvel's 25th anniversary. Must own. Get it. (laughs) Uh, Star Wars, Volume 13, Taskmaster, The Right Price, X-Men Milestones, Messiah Complex. If you're excited about X of Swords, Messiah Complex would be a great sort of like idea of what these big crossovers can do nice. uh, they go from book to book to book to book this is one of my favorites messiah complex uh x-men avengers onslaught volume one spider-man spider woman wolverine first class to russia with love and wolverine first class wolverine by night so we of course have marvel unlimited you can go to marvel unlimited the app or the website we have a special reading list where we put up a bunch of our picks some of those this week include black cat number four which is new to marvel unlimited it's the issue where felicia visits johnny storm for lunch just super freaking fun one of the best of the run king thor number one so if you want to see what this is all about that's in marvel unlimited this week marvel action captain marvel number two anyone with kids and you want to read some marvel comics with them this is your book everything marvel action and this one is full of flirking just (laughs) you're gonna see the cover and you're gonna go oh this book rules because it does powers of 10 number four punisher kill crew number two silver surfer black number four it's just a great week murderers row right there right like those issues destroy and then uh for the classic issues added to marvel unlimited this week there's a couple iron man annuals 12 and 13 which were parts of the annual crossovers of those years subterranean wars and assault on armor city which i always thought was just the 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 coolest title for a book Uh, and there's plenty more you can check them out we'll put the full list up on uh, marvel.com as well as in our show notes and uh, dig into it. Let us know what you're reading on Marvel Unlimited. Tag Marvel Unlimited and also tag Tucker Marcus, Agent M. Let us know. And then we'll be back with another episode next week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel, and Zachary Goldberg. Our audio development manager is Lauren Wiener. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And thank you, Brad, for knocking us out, giving us some burgers last week. Uh, yeah, he, put, gonna... he put two burgers like on my temples, you know, like bags of ice to like, you know, make me feel better afterwards. I don't like that. It didn't make sense, but it also did. Well, that's Brad for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>